0: Welcome, oh listener, to another episode of Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug. This is episode 149 of the podcast. And this week we are taking a bit of a pause from readings of Through the Moongate. And instead, we're featuring an interview with Mark Lemert, also known as Nox Fred Dragon. Mark is the lead developer of 6502 Workshops' recently released 8-bit CRPG, Nox We've had him on the podcast before a couple of times, but he graciously agreed to come back on for another episode. Another interview to talk about the game, which, if you've been following the news on the Ultima Codex, was released last weekend. Just a reminder, Spam 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 Humbug is hosted on Anchor.fm, a newer and more social podcast hosting platform. You can find us at anchor.fm slash SSSHpodcast or at spamspamspamhumbug.com. And if you are listening to us via the Anchor app, please do consider throwing a like onto any episodes that you enjoy or even towards the podcast itself. You can also leave us voice messages there and we will find a way to incorporate those into our episodes. As always, this episode of the podcast is brought to you by our Patreon backers, patreon.com slash Ultima Codex, if you'd like to join their number. Thank you to everyone who supports the podcast and the Codex by that means. And as always, a hearty thank you to our co-producers, Seth, Goldenflame, Chris, Dominic, Violation, Helgraf, Gronk, Pascal, and Thorwan. All right, let's get on with the interview. So we are joined tonight by Knox Fred Dragon. I forget. Am I supposed to double pronounce
1: the F? Well, whenever I'm <laughs> asked whether the the F is silent or not, uh, I, I, I usually say, "Well, sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. It's ah, kind of mysterious like that." So you know, because Knox Fred is a is a wizard after all, so mm. you know, kind of uh, is able to distort things at uh, his pleasure. So, wow. Awesome. Um, well there you go but thanks for having me i appreciate it
0: yeah no it's good to have you back um i mean we had talked some time ago now uh about nox archaist and it just so happens that you know we have you back on just in time to talk about uh nox archaist again in light of it having been just released which is like wow
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it's I, i'm really excited about it uh it's it's been five years in the making, and uh, it's it's almost uh, hard to believe that it, it's it's finally released. <laughs> it's <laughs> been so long. It's been in the future. It's been a future thing, and now now it's actually released. It's like uh, uh, I stepped through a moon gate and suddenly I am now in the world where Nox chaos uh, exists, and is, is a is a game that uh, people can uh, people can and are playing, and uh, and that's just really exciting for me. And. And uh, it seems for, for many others as well, and that's uh, that's awesome.
0: Uh, yeah, for sure. And, I, you know, I'm actually just looking back, trying to remember roughly what episode it would have been where we last talked about Nox. And I'm drawing a bit of a blank. But... I think it was
1: in July, June or July, we were talking about uh, yeah some of the... Uh, the audio, uh, the special audio, uh, that, that we implemented, uh, with, uh, some help from Dr. Katz.
0: Right. Yes. That there, episode 141. Yes. We were talking about, yeah, your five bit pulse width modulation and, uh, and, uh, Dr. Katz's suggestion on how to add that to the project. And then of course, you know, we got to hear the, uh, the title screen and the, the title sound and, which is awesome. That's
1: right. We did, we did that live right on, uh, right yeah. on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> that was microphone up to... My Apple II, and we got to listen to it talk. <laughs> yeah, uh, two or three
0: attempts later. I think we uh, we got that just right, so that's yes, good.
1: Yes, <laughs> Third time's the charm. Right. Getting just, in the microphone situated and, and having long enough cable. I remember that was tripping me up <laughs> a little bit with that. Impromptu, but uh, yes, lots of fun. Lots of fun.
0: Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, um, six months isn't like an incredibly long window of time, but I imagine there have been some changes or you know like sort of just stuff that's like you know you've you've gone back and like in those last six months kind of bringing it to conclusion there's probably a few things that you know either um got changed or um ended up being a little different in the end than you had initially planned um but like what what's been the big stuff over the last six months that's really kind of uh characterized getting nox Archaeist to this point
1: Sure, sure. Well, the big thing in the last six months is, is we went through uh, really the bulk of the testing of the project. The, uh, certainly there was testing that was going on throughout kind of the five-year period, but this last six months was where uh, we opened it up to a, uh, a public, uh, I, well, I wouldn't say totally public, but out, outside of the development team tester group of a couple dozen people. Cool. Uh, we we you know set them up on uh, Discord had some you know tester beta channels or uh, some uh, tester uh, Discord channels and uh, they they had at it you know playing playing the game both in uh, on their uh, modern uh, uh, Macs and Windows PCs and also on the original Apple II hardware and uh, you know they they put the game through its paces and that led to lots of adjustments and. Um, you know, some, some moments where I was like, Ooh, boy, I shouldn't have done that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, oh. But uh, I, I, I'm pleased to report that uh, this game of chess that I've been playing against the Apple II computer for the last five years, I did not get checkmated in the end. I did not, nice. you know, it's all about resources. You know, we're talking about 128 K uh, of Ram and a one megahertz processor and the risk of Getting oneself into a situation that you can't, from a coding point of view, get out of is, is a constant risk. <laughs> and, oh, I'm uh, sure. There, there were a couple of close shaves, sh- close shaves uh, a- at the end. Uh, I, I ended up using up the last, last block of disk space, uh, patching up one of those situations. But it's it just made it, you know. So
0: no oh, man, uh,
1: yeah. So that that was the focus, and and uh, the nice thing about uh that is you know being through that period aside from well obviously the game you know being released is uh uh it was exciting for me going through that to, to be able to actually then you know see is the game holding up to being what i always intended it to be in terms of like the core uh design goals and uh you know certainly there were some adjustments that had to be made here and there but but now you know, I, I actually know and can, you know, share how, how it's actually turned out. Not not what I think the game is going to be, like we've talked about before, but right. what it actually is. And uh, I'm uh, very pleased to say that it has worked out that Chaos is truly an open world game with uh, linear elements within a deep storyline, uh, integrated with combat scenarios to keep uh the gameplay fresh and exciting and you know that that means that the world is actually while it, it's going to be great and open go explore it's huge you will love that it's also going to react to what you do as the player to an extent that uh is it, just not not something that, that that apple II games did uh and and uh in in sometimes in you know fairly dramatic uh fairly dramatic fashion <laughs> Uh, as far as how, how, how the game will adapt and react uh, changes to the to the world and and, and so forth and, and all, all that being tied into the story and uh, and then oh, and, and I mentioned combat scenarios that it has worked out that uh, it, it's not just a grind uh, you know yes there's lots of combat there's lots of story and the two intertwine where you know maybe to uh, well not maybe I can say uh, definitively now um, there there are, Boss battles in the game, some of them, where uh, in order to get through that battle, it's going to require basically having paid attention to the story and thought about the story, thought about the puzzles to be able to actually know how to beat a particular boss. It might mean that you just need to know something, might mean that you need to find something or some things, you know, it kind of becomes a little bit of a puzzle into and of itself how how to you know succeed against that particular uh particular enemy as opposed to just simply grind 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 brute force brute force your way through you know the boss battle and and so on and uh, i'm really excited about that cuz i i both like story and i like combat uh i like both <laughs>
0: <laughs> well that's awesome and you know i got to ask because it's something that you said and like when you talk about the world being dynamic when you talk about the world reacting to the player i mean <sighs> A, that's awesome, because you're right, it's not something that's really been done a lot, really at all, maybe, in most Apple II games that um, either of us could probably think of. And you can probably think of a lot more than I can. (laughs) But equally, like, you know, just from my own dabbling with, with game engines or with modding, And from, you know, my understanding that I've sort of built up over the years talking with people who do work in the gaming industry and other areas of the gaming industry, ones that are a little less constrained by, shall we say, 128K of memory and one megahertz of processor power. (laughs) Um, My understanding is that that kind of dynamism, you know, like you pay a heavy toll in memory. You pay a heavy toll in terms of just the amount of variables that the game has to track in order to know oh okay these things have happened therefore i need to have the world react in this way and so i'm kind of curious and i just want to pull at that thread a little bit if you don't mind like sure how did you manage to implement the level of dynamism you're talking about when you have a profound scarcity of memory to track the necessary information with
1: yeah, uh, absolutely. That's that's uh, that's a great question, and and it, and it is uh, you know to to your point, something that uh, developers on modern systems uh, find challenging. And 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 uh, you know how many games have we, modern games have we played where uh, you know we're going through various quests, this and that, and gee, there's a bug, and some quest just totally falls down because you know you you talk to somebody in the quest chain before the game expected you to do so. And suddenly, you know, doesn't work, uh, or
0: that, yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it's like you said, cha- challenging for uh, developers on modern platforms as well. And on on the on the retro platform, uh, you know, it was it was a multifaceted challenge, as you can imagine, both you know, on the resource side, in addition to the complexity of the logic, uh, and you know it, it really I, I i'll I'll draw back on my analogy before was was really just it was a game of chess against uh the computer uh not not in a literal uh sense because you of course can play chess against the Apple II, but uh in the sense of <laughs> i had yeah. to build the game what not not just i mean one piece at a time what kind of goes without saying but different pieces at a time because i never knew for sure you know how, how exactly how much memory was each system going to take—the combat system, the inventory system, the NPC conversation system. No matter how you know good I might uh, uh, be or not be at, at estimating, <laughs> with with the limited re, uh, as limited as the resources are, I I could never be sure enough. So what I would end up doing is I do some work on the combat system, then I do some work on the inventory system. Then, then, then some work on, uh, you know, uh, maybe ancillary systems for. I uh, pop up uh, text windows for clues when you're in dungeons because I know I'm going to need those. Better get those out of the way. See how much memory they take, and then look again. How much do I have left? And mm. and then kind of do the next thing. And that would inform decisions in each particular subsystem of the game. Of okay, well, h- how many features can I really add here? Uh, uh, you know, the closer you know each module gets to done, the the more I can kind of get a sense for how much wiggle room I have and make those key decisions on you know what what features are going to make it in and what ones are not. And as it relates to the dynamic nature of the open world and the linear elements, and uh, w- w- which which in 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 you know some levels in some ways kind of distills you know into a complex interweaving of of state flags uh, and things to track uh, different events and then support for those in each of the subsystems, that that, that, that basically, uh, that challenge um, essentially becomes a, a, an extrapolation of that base resource uh, juggling issue that I was doing. And so what I found myself doing is, I actually left some of that to the end some of the key decisions related relating to exactly how dynamic was the, was was Nox or Chaos going to be. Uh, at, at first, I just focused on other stuff, kind of left it to the end. Then I got to a point where it's like, well, okay, I'm going to start laying down some some rail tracks here for in the logic for if in the you know really towards the end of the game it looks like there's resources to to really implement it. I've at least got some of the logical structures built in the earlier code that would be just horribly impractical to, to go back and, and, and you know integrate in after the fact. Uh, I started to lay some of that down. and, and then I got to probably uh, last, last winter, really, where uh, it was it was closing in on, you know kind of the last stage of development. And, you know, got to a point of making the final decision on, you know, some of these, uh, some of these linear dynamic uh, elements and, you know, kind of eyed it up. So, well, yep, looks like the, uh, you know, the memory is there. And, you know, I've kind of got this, uh, uh, you know, some of this logic layered into these subsystems. And then, and then, and then then testing was a huge side of it uh, in, in order to. I, I was really determined to the degree that I possibly could as I, I I don't want to release a game with these dynamic elements where it's got some of these classic problems where, you know, depending on what order you do things in, it surprises the, the game code and weird stuff happens. And so I, I, you know, I really tried as best as I could before even releasing it to any testers to just think through what were all the different possible paths that, that that could drive these linear elements and and run through them myself and and that shook loose a lot of bugs and uh it, ultimately as much as that did the testers found more um but uh, i feel pretty good that with a couple dozen testers over the course of uh uh quite quite a quite a few months um uh since july that uh, uh you know they they hammered on it and hammered on it and, uh, to the point where the bug reports just kind of ta- ta- trailed off. It was like I was like drinking from the fire hose for for several months, and they were logging them faster than I could solve them. And some of them definitely were related to some of these linear elements and and, and quests and goofy stuff happening. But you know, uh, they were uh, it was a great uh, team to be collaborating with, and we worked out those issues. And I deployed a um, two groups actually, uh, t- like a testing group one and testing group two. Because when testing group one came in, uh, you know, they were still finding, you know, stuff that that I I didn't catch even when I, I played through the game a couple of times in these different, uh, you know, uh, paths and so forth. And, uh, you know, invariably, the first testing group, you know, they helped me hammer out a bunch of stuff and they eventually get to the point where they're, you know, winning the game. And it's like, okay, great, in theory, everything works, except, okay, but you know that everybody everybody involved has now seen the game you know it's yeah. to it, to late stages and not the end but I had anticipated that and had recruited a second testing group that was standing by um and you know basically ready to go when i when I said the word and uh, I, I I you know the call went out for you know the the uh, the second group of heroes and and they came in with a fresh set of eyes to then look at the game as it iterated through my testing, the dev team's testing, uh, the external, you know, group one uh, testing, and then the fresh set of eyes came in to then put it, you know, really evaluate, okay, well, did all that work? <laughs> or are there more bugs that now aren't being seen because everybody's, you know, uh, already familiar? And, uh, and and there were a few things that, that group two caught, but I'm pretty confident about it because, they there wasn't a lot. When Group Two came in, uh, it was just a, a little bit here, a little bit there. You know, l- some wonderful polishing that happened as a result of that. Um, but it wasn't a barrage that left me wondering, okay, do we need a Group Three? You know, kind of a thing. So um, yeah, that's 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 pretty much the process of how how to how that came to be to to bring to life an open world with uh, uh, dynamic dynamic uh properties to it and some linear embedded story elements on Jeez. an eight-bit computer.
0: <laughs> on an eight-bit computer, because you know, why not? Because why not? That's
1: yeah. You gotta push the frontier <laughs> forward, you know, that's uh that's half the fun.
0: <laughs> well that is how you build it initially, right? Was you know um uh, exploring where eight bit gaming would have gone if the sixteen bit revolution hadn't necessarily occurred, right?
1: Exactly. That that uh is exactly it. You know, Ultima 5 is uh you know it was the last uh, Ultima on the Apple II, and, uh, you know, fantastic game, um, well, probably my favorite Ultima of all time. And then over to the PC, uh, the IBM PC, I think probably 386 era, if I recall, for, uh, for Ultima 6. And uh, it begs the question, you know, obviously the industry, you know, was forced to move on from an economic uh, perspective, uh, the, uh, the economics surrounding uh, the, the technology but how much of the Apple II machine was was left uh, that was untapped that might have been able to be exploited if if development had continued, and that's that's what I wanted to find out. Uh, and I and I did not know when, when I started the project uh, that uh, how much was there or not. And 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 what I what I found is uh, as, as I, I probably said before that uh, there 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 was there was more than probably most people would uh, would would guess. Um, and in, in just seeing where uh, Ultima 5 was at, and then the huge jump to, to Ultima 6. And I, I think where, where Nox or Chaos dials in is it's closer to Ultima 5 gameplay technology than Ultima 6, uh, but it's uh, it, it's probably arguably as big of a jump as, as there was between Ultima 4 and 5. Maybe, maybe not quite that, but close. And that was a lot more than I expected. And um, so in, in the... In the course of doing that, we were in that exploration, uh, able to bring in some modern sensibilities to uh, the gameplay, uh, which was something that uh, I know our testers you know really liked in in terms of uh, the approachability of the game. things like uh, menu driven inventory and character management system, uh, mm. fully menu driven, uh, full tactical combat, but also quick combat uh option for dispatching low-level mobs to minimize the grinding you know I, it, all of us who played the early ultimus probably remember you know getting uh, uh coming out of the dungeon and you know you want to head to town to sell your loot and you're like level eight and you get attacked by orcs and you've got to sit there and go through the whole you know tactical battle and it's like really <laughs> you know after yeah. the 20th time well with quick combat and ox or no problem that that uh uh, orc battle like that is dispatched in a matter of a couple of seconds and you know you get the satisfaction of it happening and with with the quick combat display showing you know the number of, of the mobs on the screen and you get to see them disappear one by one and you see your player stats or your character stats and all that so nice. um but big big time saver you know then and you can you know spend the time on the tactical battles that battles that matter where the outcome is you know not so certain um We've also got a tab-driven uh, target selector in combat, just to get on this modern sensibilities uh, uh, theme. Uh, where uh, when you're attacking in, in combat, like a range weapon, especially like a bow, and you got you know maybe a, do- a half dozen uh, mobs out there on the screen, uh, after you press that A key to attack, then you're just pressing Tab to flip between the different targets. You're not having to you know be limited to just attacking north, south, east, or west, or even uh, moving a like a target selector around manually Uh, it's just Mm -hmm. really fast you just tab 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 between them and uh, that really speeds things up we've even got a brief in-game tutorial uh it's not you know extensive by modern standards by any means but uh you when you start out the game uh you're you're in an area that's really designed for you the player to kind of get the hang of the mechanics and there are pop-up windows that show up on screen with tutorial tips for uh, you press O to open the door and, you know, press A to attack, you know, the rats that are, you know, next to you in the hold of the ship or or, or what have you, just for the, you know, somebody that wants to uh, just dive into the action, uh, you know, that that's a little bit of a, a refresher uh, for uh, uh, anybody that wants to just uh, take that approach to it. And then uh, uh, I think one of my most favorite, uh, if you could call this a modern sensibility, I guess uh, it 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 is in a way, and it is not in other ways. But uh, well, Lord Go British, <laughs> Lord British is an NPC in the game, as you know. Ah, yeah. And you know what exactly the implementation of that uh, was going to be for, was you know kind of unknown for a while. You know, kind of had the broad strokes figured out, but uh, there was one particular feature that was one of those that I really wanted to do, but I I, I saved saved it or delayed it. Until the very end, because I wasn't sure from a resource standpoint, you know, what, uh, uh how it was going to work out. Uh, right, as you mentioned, as I mentioned, this is one of those things. And, uh, so, so what, what has worked out is that in addition to playing a key role in uh, the story, um, Lord British will also, if you ask, uh, give you the player hints on each stage of the mainline quest. And, oh, cool, they're optional. You know, you don't you don't have to ask if you want to kind of just go, you know, Iron Man, see if you can beat the game without it. That's a legitimate way to play. On the other hand, uh, you know, if uh, it it, it knocks as a challenging game and uh, Lord British is there to give you that, you know, advice and helping hand if you want. And uh, that is uh, uh, one of the reasons that 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 waited to the end actually, you know, ties into uh, one more such thing. I, I, I guess again, modern sensibilities is there's a quest log. Um, oh, I don't what? think that's ever happened in an Apple II game. There, there, there is a quest log, and uh, as you, yeah, you know, I, I mean, when, what my memories of playing the early Ultimas is, it's like you could you if you go when I would go back and play them over the decades, I, I could sense the presence of quests. Uh, you know, it's kind of like before quests were formally invented. Uh, but you, could yeah, they're not sense strongly the indicated, right? Yeah. You know, the you talk to an NPC and they would say, "Well, maybe go talk to the blacksmith in uh, Minoc about you know the, the the magic hammer." And 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 okay, well that's that's like a quest, except you don't really know that it, there's nothing about it that announces that it's a quest. You know, you can choose to write it down in your notes or or not to remember it or not. Um, but yeah, so so I, I thought about that, and it's like, well, yeah, you, you know, the the fundamental building blocks of quests. Were there in Apple II games uh, such as Ultima, it just wasn't formalized, and yeah. so uh, what it worked out to be able to do was uh, essentially attach uh, attach state flags uh, uh, and a logical structure around it to those you know events in the game, those tasks in the in the game, and and then roll up those uh, state flags into a display in the form of a quest log that will, you know, just like a modern game would uh, in, in, in concept uh, you know, kind of keep track of what are the different, you know, things that you need to do that, that you've been tasked with by various uh, NPCs. It's of course, you know, there's, there's a certain, you know, roughness to it uh, being a 8-bit game in all. It's not, uh, you know, a full blown quest journal where it's going to keep track of every clue that you find on the quest, you know? So you know, break out that spiral notebook. Uh, that's still probably a good idea, uh, but nonetheless, it still is uh, a helpful uh, guidepost along the way. And uh, that that really dovetailed into uh, the function of Lord British uh, giving hints, because, as I said, it's all coming together at the end. Because what what uh, the way that works with Lord British giving hints is, as I basically wrote some code in the conversation module that taps in to the quest logs uh, data structure, and so Lord British is basically peeking into your quest log from a data <laughs> point of view. And okay, what main what what, what mainline quest flags are flipped? Where where are you in the mainline? And then one, once he keys in on that, you know, runs that through a lookup table to look up. Well, what's the text I'm supposed to say when you're at that particular? Uh, when that particular quest uh flag is is active in the main line. Uh, so it's like it, when when it's like when one domino fell the next one fell, so to speak, as far as that coming right. together at the end and uh uh I was really really happy to see how that uh came together both in terms of the the uh, the gameplay and uh the approachability of it as well as I just thought that was fundamentally a uh, a fun friendly, reminiscent sort of a thing for Lord British to do you know that's that's what I feel like as the avatar you know from the ultimate games and here I find Lord British in this other world that that that's how I would just imagine that that he would be you know he he would he would give you advice and you know not not do the quest for you because of course you know his influence in that other realm is limited but you know he'd he'd, uh, give you advice and uh, point you in the right direction I would think
0: I think that's a darn sight more helpful than he's been in any of the other games that he's been in. <laughs> so
1: <sighs>
0: But that's an interesting discussion, right? Because like it's that's an interesting um, you know, uh tangent you just took us through there because like it's there's a tendency especially in, you know, the uh the communities that really um still value uh strongly value, let's say 8-bit games or those older school games there's sort of this tendency to kind of disdain a lot of the systems that have been developed over you know over the the many many years between the apple 2 era the 8-bit era and now right things like the quest journal and, mm-hmm. and whatever else but at the same time you know like so it's interesting to hear you talk about that because i mean i'm kind of ambivalent about a lot of those things you know like it's if they're there, great. If they're not great, you know, like I can write my own quest notes, but it's, it is handy to have them there in a menu that I can call up. Um, you know, I can play with them. I can play without them. It's not a big deal to me, but it's sure cool that, you know, you know, again, with this philosophy of like exploring, well, where could we have gone with 8-bit gaming? Like what was still within reach on an 8-bit platform. Like, it's interesting right. that, you know, you've targeted some of these modern contrivances, things like the quick combat or the the tab targeting or a quest journal that, you know, they are, I mean, I guess, you know, in my professional career, I'd probably head that all under quality of life. You know, that would be in the quality of life sure. column. Um, because, you know, like, in a way, I mean, I don't see that any of those things would detract from the experience of a game, especially as you say, for like, you know, a level eight character who, yeah, probably wants to spend some time reasoning out each move in a battle against some elder dragon or what have you that is appropriate to their experience level. But if it's just a bunch of, uh, yeah, level one orcs or kobolds or whatever that, you know, might might land a hit or two as they are quickly wiped out of existence, eh, you know, do I really need to spend this 15 minutes? Probably not. Um,
1: And if you want to, you still can. You know, it's all at the player's option. Yeah,
0: Which is good too, right? Like that you have that optionality built in there. It's just like, oh, okay, this one we can quick combat. That's fine. (laughs) But if I want to spend some time with the orcs, I can. That's good. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's it's also kind of, you know, just an interesting... It's interesting to me that, you know... An 8-bit game could technically, now does officially, uh, support these same features that, you know, nowadays, you know, wouldn't have seemed new or novel in, say, Skyrim, right? These have, yeah. these have been quality of life improvements to games for for quite some time now. But so it's kind of, it's just, it's interesting that, you know, a lot of those same things could, and now have successfully been, brought to 8-bit gaming. Like, that's it's neat and again it's it's sort of a a continuation of that exploration of um where 8-bit gaming could potentially have gone now has gone um what was once old has become new again (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) uh so i know we've obviously uh talked about this on previous episodes but just in case anybody's listening for the first time um and they're wondering what this noxarchaeist business is all about. Um, and I don't, I mean, I don't know if we want to launch into a full rehash of the game, but we should probably at least ask the question. And you've mentioned this already when you were talking about your beta testers, but just so we can, you know, formally ask it and get the official answer. Um, obviously, it's an 8-bit RPG, but if someone wants to pick it up and play it, what are their options?
1: Uh, as, as far as uh, how to get a hold of the game? Exactly. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So Noxercast is available as a digital download or in a uh, collector's box set uh, with a cloth map, uh, a 125-page manual filled with lore, and a full-color painting uh, by Dennis Lube. And the collector's box also has other feelies, uh, uh, such as a high-quality metal coin of the realm, uh, a wax sealed writ from the queen, and uh, much more. And to uh, get a hold of, uh, whether, uh, <coughs> excuse me, uh, to get a hold of either the digital download or the uh, uh, collector's box set uh, that can either can be ordered at knoxercast.com. Uh, and in addition to the game itself, uh, we have a whole bunch of merch available featuring the game art, like T-shirts, coffee mugs, and uh, even posters of the cloth map and posters of Dennis Lubay's uh, demon lord uh, painting from the uh, manual color. It's uh, all there on our Nox Archaea store.
0: Cool. So people can obviously go to the Nox Archaea store. We'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. Um, So you talk about digital downloads, right? So that's available then. They can pick it up and just play it on. You don't need an Apple II or some kind of 8-bit system to run this thing is basically where we're going with that, right?
1: Yes, yes. Uh, The game is playable on, uh, of course, original Apple II hardware, but also on modern Windows and Mac OS uh, computers. And, uh, and and actually, um, I should mention this because this was another thing that I wasn't sure about until, you know, very late uh, in the process and not since we last talked, is you actually don't even need to deal with an Apple II emulator if you want to play it on, on Windows or Mac OS because um, oh. we, we, we have uh, bundled with uh, the game something we call the Knox app. It is... Basically, it's a it's a it's a Mac and a Windows application that you click on, and it runs the game and of story. And there, there, uh, you know, and, and, and I'll say this just for authentic purposes: there is an Apple II emulator under the hood, so it is genuine sixty five zero two code that is running on on your modern computer. It's just we, we put a wrapper uh, around the emulator, or or actually, to full credit, it was uh, it was not the in, internal Knox uh, team; it was actually uh, Paleotronic. Uh, who is the uh, developer of the Micro M8 Apple II emulator? Uh, we partnered with them, and uh, and they they put a wrapper around their Micro M8 emulator uh, and uh, branded with some Knox Arden and things, and turn it over to us as the Knox app. <laughs> and uh, we plug in our sixty five hundred two code, and away you go. And so it's the authentic, uh, you know, Apple II game experience. In, in, in an emulator, but without having to worry about downloading an emulator, or how the emulator works, we've abstracted all of that, and it's just a matter of you know you've got an app, you click on it, and you're playing the game.
0: That is super handy. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I, and again, like you know, yeah, guys like you and me, it's fine if we got to install an emulator. um I'm a little rusty on what my current gen Apple Twos are. Micro M8 is one. I. No, Basilisk was for Mac, Eh, whatever. The point is, you know, guys like you and me, yeah, sure, we can stand up and install an emulator, but it's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea. And getting some of them working is there's a few more hoops to jump through than maybe a lot of users want to just to pick up and play a game. So that's really awesome that, you know, it's just a one-click solution.
1: It, a- absolutely and and uh it, it's something I that understandably some people might not want to want to deal with uh, they just you know they want to play the game not learn how to do you know some new thing and like you said some some are easier than than others and uh, uh, I, I I feel really good uh, j- just as far as uh, making the game more accessible more approachable uh you know we, we really wanted to uh to be able to, to to do this for that that reason and I'm really glad that it worked out definitely Oh, actually, one last oh. footnote on that uh, for any uh, hardcore users, that may, uh, Apple II users that may be uh, listening. On the digital download, uh, the actual disk image for the game that you would use on an Apple II emulator is is there. That uh, So if you get the digital download, you can play on whatever Apple II emulator you want. You don't have to use the Knox app. You know, it's there, but so is the raw disk image that you can plug into whatever emulator you want, and the collector's box set as well has a USB uh, drive that's actually shaped like a little five and a quarter inch uh, disc, the miniature one. Awesome. (laughs) USB drive, and 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 that USB drive has the same contents uh, as the digital download
0: does. Awesome. So, and I mean, again, for hmm, it's been a long time since I've been in front of an Apple II, but. There was this one time that I was driving through Trinidad where there were, like, a whole bunch of, like, dead Apple and Mac computers just piled up on the side of the road. Weirdest thing I ever (laughs) saw. Um, I would have taken one, but there's no way to get it on the plane. Anyways, tangent. Um, So, just for curiosity's sake, because, you know, I mean, obviously... Uh, i'm not going to download this to my apple II. not that i have one but hypothetically if i had an apple 2 uh this isn't something that i would just you know download to my apple II. that's not how that's going to work so um and i imagine for people who have and maintain apple II's, it's no biggie for them to figure out how to take a disc image and get it into a uh onto a disc that will run on the apple 2 but uh I'm assuming there's, you know, like if they want to buy the original Apple II version, you're not going to just email them. Sorry, you can't email. You're not going to actually mail them. Gosh, am I? Oh, I'm so terribly modernist. It's terrible. <laughs> no um, you're not actually going to send them five and a quarter inch discs, are you?
1: We, if we they did buy have, the Apple II version. We we did have a uh, a box set, uh with the the Kickstarter campaign that we did. Uh, a year and a half ago, that included right. actual five and a quarter inch uh, discs, and uh, those are uh, uh, basically right now just just uh, beginning to to be shipped out. The digital download we we posted that first, and you know we're, we're we're taking care of the physical rewards here on the on the Kickstarter. And one one of those reward tiers did have physical five and a quarter inch uh, discs, uh, and so in that case, yes, people literally will those people will literally will be mailed. Five and a quarter inch discs that they've been popping their their floppy drives. Um, for uh, the collector's editions that uh, are, is what we currently have offered. It uh, it doesn't have the five and a quarter inch disc. What it has is the USB drive and uh, that that has the um, disc images on it. And uh, both for uh, what what I would would refer to as a hard drive disc image and floppy disc images. And, and so what happens from there for somebody that has an Apple II computer is uh, uh, many uh, folks that have uh, Apple II computers or are into Apple II computers these days uh, right. have hard drive cards in those computers. And oh, okay. And the, uh, uh, the, the sort of modern-made hard drive cards uh, have a USB port on them. So uh, the, the, it's kind of quote-unquote hard drive. <laughs> Uh, so, so right. basically, what you do is if if you're an Apple II user that has a hard drive card like a a CFFA or a, a boot Eye or on some systems even a floppy emu uh, will will work. Um, you 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 literally just take the the USB drive that you get from us and you can plug that right into your uh, your hard drive card on your Apple II computer and your your uh, fire you can fire up the game and your. Uh, good to go, or copy it onto a different USB drive if you want. Uh, and, and, and if you're a Apple II uh, user, you have an Apple II computer, and you want to play it on floppy, uh, the floppy disk images are on uh, the USB stick or in the digital download. You would just have to transfer them to floppy disk yourself. Which is not a process for the faint of heart, <laughs> it is, <laughs> right? Uh, it's not it's not the most difficult thing in the world, uh, but it's also if it's not something that you've done before, there are a fair number of things that that, that can go wrong just because you know we're, we're dealing with 40 year old technology, uh, and uh, he, you know there's there's a modern computer on one end that's hosting the server side, you know that has that disk image. <laughs> that uh is involved, but at the other end of a of a long cable <laughs> uh connected to your Apple II is the 4 yeah. technology. So there's some things that can go wrong there. Uh for sure. but I but i just mentioned it that it, it is an option. And uh for for uh people that that's important to them, they probably know how to do it is uh is is most likely the case.
0: I was gonna say, I mean if this is something, you know, if you have the genuine enthusiast who's like, no, nah, I gotta play this OG off the floppy on a uh, Apple II. They're probably already set up to do that. <laughs> so not, yep, a, exactly. not a big deal. Hi, Joe Garrity. Well, that's awesome. So like Knox has been one of, a, and there's been a handful of other projects that I've been following as well. Some of which I've covered on the Codex. Um, most of which I hope I've covered on the Codex. My goodness. Although I think Knox is probably, a, I think the first one that's really hit like, you know, hit its release. So that you say you've been working on it for five. You know, I got to ask, um, you sure. know, you have been working on this for five years. Um, what's your dev system? And uh, what's your backup system?
1: <laughs> sure. So, um I have uh I actually kind of two two computers involved. Uh primarily strictly speaking, I'm doing development on a Windows 10 computer and uh, that's like where the cross assembler sits. uh that uh translates uh I write the 6502 assembly code that I write, I do it in Notepad++. Uh, and and that gets uh-huh. fed into a cross assembler that uh, trans uh, uh, translates that 6502 assembly code into a binary file uh, that the Apple II understands. Uh, and and it's uh, that binary file that then is what gets uh, transferred to floppy disk or uh, gets uh, uh, put on a uh, on a USB drive and plugged into one of these modern hard drive cards in an Apple II that, that that understands how to interface with USB and therefore get at said binary file that the Apple II understands. So I I, I awesome. I'm driving it all off of a Windows 10 computer. I'm not sitting down at an actual Apple II and writing in the code. I have done that on uh, and uh, I I have done it. I, I did it a lot in the 80s. I mean, because that's what you did, right? But uh,
0: as you do, yeah.
1: <laughs> as you do, uh, but in modern time I have done it in in modern times. Like at the early end of the project, on uh, uh, I I did I did it enough to be very convinced that if there's a better way to do this, I'm going to do it <laughs> I'm going to find it and do a better way. And 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 then uh, you know I, I researched cross assemblers and you know. Uh, Got got up to speed on okay. What what's the modern way to do this as far as like writing uh, uh, assembly language code on on old computers? Because uh, it just really speeds it up. You, you you have a mouse and you can copy and paste the code. I mean, you still have to know that Apple II inside and out, or whatever retro computer you're working with inside and out. You know, because in the end, it's got to run on that machine. <laughs> yes, uh, definitely. But you know, you don't get bogged down in the tediousness of uh, oh, you're you're. Label names can only be uh, a, a very short length because that's taking up precious memory in the computer that you want for your, say for your actual code you know <laughs> or or right. user interface limitations like you know copy and paste so um, so yeah that's that's uh, the short answer there is the the Windows ten uh, uh, machine is really driving it and then I mean this is, I said there were multiple machines involved this is the, the kind of maybe the odd thing uh, I think this is, m- might just be me but I actually rdp into the windows 10 computer uh from a macbook and (laughs) as uh, you do (laughs) that's just that's just how i do it and um the uh reasons for that are are a long and probably not terribly interesting story other than uh than just to say that i really like how the the windows flip around with uh like the RDP window juxtaposed against the native Mac Windows, I, I get sort of a um a flexibility in window management that I don't feel like I get if I'm actually sitting down at the Windows 10 machine. <laughs> so uh, that that's actually what 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 kept me doing it in that uh in that way long after whatever the original reason was disappeared. <laughs> I, I dig it. Workspace is important, right? Yeah, like it's you know do you know... <laughs> it <efficient. laughs> Yeah. No,
0: definitely. I, uh, I'm, you know, I mean, I do all my coding on Windows 10 and, but literally like, you know, um, especially on my work PC, right? If I'm hammering out code for one of the apps I maintain at work, you know, I've got my two monitors and everything has to be, everything has its assigned monitor in my brain, right? Mm-hmm. There's no reason why that app has to be on that monitor. You know, there's no, there's no functional reason integral to the good operation of the computer why that app has to be on that monitor but in my brain you have I need a memory it over pointer there.
1: to it <laughs> yeah i need it over there it becomes the reason
0: and i need you know this other app over here and the code right here and so i get i get that you know like if it's if that's your if that's your sweet spot you know for 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 being in your development groove i mean <laughs> all power right all power so that's cool yep oh so gotta keep it efficient what you're used to what a long road it's been five years and i mean of course when you started this five years ago you know you didn't well i mean you hope to hit release date um i remember there were two kickstarter campaigns right there was like one but then it didn't really quite catch on so then you did the second one and of course there was when (laughs) did you even imagine like you know starting this five years ago that lord british was going to be one of your npcs
1: (laughs) no no, uh, it, it, the imagination that I had uh, on on where the project was going to go five years ago is, is really nothing compared to to where it ended up. I mean, I think, uh, you know, cause this is really an extension of the dabbling I did uh, as, as a kid in the 80s, you know, playing games, wanting to write games, you know, learning programming, uh, you know, while I was trying to write games sort of thing and, uh, you know, got to a point where... You know, I, I kind of had a map tile engine, you know, working at one point, but uh, but nothing anywhere close to, okay, here's a finished, you know, tile RPG game. And, and so when I got into this, uh, I was kind of setting my sights on, like, okay, so uh, I have my old engine design in my head from, you know, all these years later. Uh, so now that I have a much stronger computer science uh, uh, background, what? And 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 the access to any book on the Apple II ever written through the internet, you know, yep. the the luxury of availability of information back in the '80s was something. You know, you don't just oh, why wake up one day and say, oh, I want to learn, you know, assembly language uh, uh, for the Apple II. How how do I do that? Uh, well, and just pull a book <laughs> off the shelf. You know that you had to be lucky. You had to be lucky and have access to the right books. And if you're even luckier have access to some people who actually knew it. I had none of those things. Uh but anyway, so when I set to take another crack at it uh in in, in modern times, um I, I, my my goal was something like on the gameplay technology level of Ultima 3. And you know, that I thought was uh a, a stretched goal, you know, at the time considering <laughs> i had never finished a game, you know, when I last, you know, tried this uh in in the 80s and I thought, okay, well, you know, that's small enough that, and I was close enough with the map tile engine that I had gotten going in the eighties that, you know, I, I kind of thought that was, uh, that was attainable, you know? And, yeah. uh, then, then something happened. It, it just, I, you know, things just went well as hard as they were, but as determined as I was, <laughs> and yeah. you know, I was able to get, you know, see the progress happening and, um, I, there, there was there was a, there was a point where I just I was this. Well, we've talked about the whole frontier thing, and this this is like you know explore what might have happened uh, if things have pushed beyond. Uh, that that actually came probably six months into the project because the first six months was okay. I'm going to make something with Ultima Three like gameplay tech, and, and and then where the the the, the real mission of Noxer Chaos was 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 born. Was really about six months in. It was when I got the map tile engine built in assembly language, and it was working really well. And I was starting to find that I I, to conceive of like, okay, well, it would have been really cool if another Ultima on the Apple II had uh, you know done done. X, Y, or Z, like had four tile mobs, you know, so you go and fight a giant and it's actually this four tile, you know, a uh, huge thing. And, and, and then, you know, be able to like go into my code and, and, in, in my, you know, tile graphics engine and where I already had, you know, single tile mobs running around be able to go in there and look and say like, well, okay, well, what's stopping me? Surely there was a reason that ultimate didn't have that because well, they would have if they could have, right? You know what? There must have been some technical obstacle, or was there? Or was it just that things moved on to the uh, IBM PC, and you know every Ultima was a major innovation on the one that came before that, uh, and and you know you pick the low hanging fruit. So I I I, I this, and this this really it was it, this was the first thing. And, and so I sat there puzzling over. It. It's like it sure looks like this is possible. I don't see anything preventing it. So I went in and and implemented four tile mobs, and was like, "Wow, it actually works!" Now, if I could do that, I wonder what else is it possible to do that <laughs> wasn't done before because it just hadn't come up yet because there were easier things to do before it. And that's when between myself and uh, only one uh, one dev team partner then at, at that time that I was working on this with, uh, you know, started to really think like, well, hey, wait a minute. Maybe um, we're uh, setting the, uh, the bar too low here. Maybe standing on the shoulders of giants, uh, we could really explore here what might have come after, because it sure seems like there is room for something to have come after. And that's when the 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 real mission of Nox Archaeus really crystallized as this isn't just we're gonna write an Apple II game and you know it's gonna be fun and you know kind kind of uh uh you know mid eighties tech, whatever. Uh it suddenly became clear that, that that we were on a historical mission here uh that was within within uh you know the graphs to be able to really see what might have, you know, uh, been able to uh to come after and 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 then and then four and a half years of uh, later of actually doing it, ne- never imagined that it would take that long. I mean, isn't that's got to be a recipe for scope creep if there ever was one? You know, a nice <laughs> vaguely defined project. We're going to see what might have happened if. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh. you know, But that's okay. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. I'm glad it happened. And, uh, you know, even though it meant a five-year project instead of, you know, perhaps a one or two-year one.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, I was going to ask you, like, the the follow-on question I was going to ask you was, like, you know, what had been, like, sort of the biggest change between five years ago and now? But I think you already really, really spoke to that. Um, But, I mean, you know, what a journey, hey? Like, you know, you start this thing as a vaguely defined passion project five years ago. And all of a sudden, you're trading ideas with Dr. Cat. You have Richard Garriott asking to be an NPC in your game. You just like, I'm pretty sure none of, you know, that, that's that got to be just a complete mess with your mind kind of thing. You know, to, 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 to have grown up playing a lot of the games that people like, you know, Dr. Cat and Richard Garriott created. And now all of a sudden to basically be an equal with them you know, someone that they're bouncing ideas off of or swapping notes with.
1: Well, it's been an absolutely amazing experience. And uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's the sort of thing where I would never have imagined. And, you know, having grown up in, in the 80s playing Ultima and, uh, you, you know, just being absolutely amazed at what Richard Garriott had had done and was doing with that uh, yeah i mean it's 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 in many ways a childhood dream you know come true you know to to be uh you know have the opportunity to to interact with richard garrett and 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 dr cat and you know other folks uh like them you know the people that I looked up to and admired uh as a kid and you know through throughout life you know really in in terms of what they had achieved and uh I always thought that I had missed the window you know personally uh you know I had the in, in in my mind, it was like you know, yeah, I, I want to program computer games for a living. You know, that was kind of what I was thinking as I was playing, you know, games like Ultima and Bard's Tale, and you know, trying to program. Uh, but eventually, I, I veered off in, uh professionally in a different uh, direction because it was uh, it was just apparent to me that you know I, I, the the tech as quickly as I was learning about stuff, things were. You know advancing so much faster and, and sure I sp- I probably could have you know pursued a, some kind of career in that direction but it wouldn't have been you know the, the groundbreaking you know kind of stuff that people like uh, uh, Richard and dr. Cat uh, uh, were, were doing and and so there, there were other you know interests that I then pursued and, and pretty much for, for for decades of my life I just shut this away thinking like you know that would have been cool but I missed the window you know if I had been 10 years older. You know, I, I would have been, you know, more in the zone, um, and and so, and it just never occurred to me uh, until you know five years ago uh, that uh, there even really was anybody who still was interested in playing an Apple II game. Uh, it, it really, I wasn't aware of there there be really being uh, a much a retro community to speak of uh, or or Apple II uh, community specifically i'd never gone out looking you know <laughs> right <laughs> I, yeah it was just uh what what one one on one uh they say one day uh one year i moved and the new place i moved to uh i i you know had a space where i thought well gee this would make for a nice you know computer room setup i, I mean you know, i'm gonna buy an apple ii off at of ebay and play some ultimate castle Wolfenstein, just like the old days call up my friend that i used to play with you know back then and you know <laughs> uh, that's kind of where it started. just kind of, you know, just cause it would be fun to, to, to do that again. And, and ultimately that led to, I eventually, as I'm Googling stuff, I find that, wow, there's actually other people, you know, still doing stuff with, with 8-bit games and wow, that, this is really interesting. And, and so, um, so then eventually, you know, one thing leads to another and the, the old, you know, passion for creating one, you know, comes, uh, you know, comes back. But, uh, but, but yeah, you know, uh, I'm kind of circling around back to you know what you're talking about before. There's just so many aspects of this that it's it's just like a childhood dream you know come true that, that I always thought that I was too late for. Um, that I was I was born too late for, 10 years too late for, uh, having missed the window and then to find that yet actually there was this whole other window uh, that turned out to exist or, or open up, that I was actually at, at, exactly in the right place at the right time with the right skills for because that window is now ten years from now, five years, you know, five years, ten years, some number of time, uh, you know, into the future. Uh, this resurgence of eight bit games, whatever it is that's happening now, that's really very interesting and not just Doc Sarcast, as you point out. Yeah. Uh, you know, this this will have evolved and developed, and uh, you know, we don't know where it's going. On uh, but eventually, this window will close as well, and I feel you know really lucky and honored to uh, have been able to um, uh, be, be participate in it, and and uh, and for the Apple II uh, uh, community at least be a, uh, a leader in in doing so. And um, it's it's really it's really just uh, 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 very exciting uh, for me to have uh, seen seen this all come into fruition that
0: is that is just awesome um all right well when i do interviews sort of the the last question i ask before i wrap up is just i mean we've talked about a lot but is there anything that we haven't yet covered that you know you just are burning to make sure gets included anything else you want to make sure gets mentioned uh before we wrap up
1: yes i'd uh, like to express my thanks to the backers of Nox cast and my 6502 workshop development teammates uh, both of which were instrumental in making Nox or Chaos the game that it is. And also, just to recap, if you're interested in playing Nox or Chaos, you can find the digital download and collector's box set on our website, noxorchaos.com. And for Spaceballs fans out there, uh, we've got merchandising, merchandising. At noxorchaos.com, you can find Nox or Chaos the t-shirt, Nox or Chaos the coffee mug, Nox Chaos, the Dennis Bay art poster. And who knows, maybe someday even Nox Chaos the flamethrower. Definitely. Definitely do check it out. Uh, I mean, it's, it's been something
0: that I've been following on the Ultima Codex for a while. It looks great. Um, you know, if you love the old 8-bit era games, Ultima 4, Ultima 5, many other classics of that era, uh, definitely worth checking out. Thank you so much for, uh, for taking the time. Like, this is, this is awesome.
1: Absolutely. You're, you're welcome. And thanks for having me back on the show. I've, I've enjoyed our, our chats uh, over the years uh, as uh, all this has uh, played out. And uh, I really appreciate that.
0: Awesome. And I hope that the uh, the game, I mean, obviously, it's already, you know, had a bit of a following. And I hope that, you know, now that it's out, there's a, there's a good size audience for it. I mean, you know, it, it, on the one hand, like, obviously, it's a niche game, right? The Apple II sure. community is what it is but I hope that you know a lot of them pick it up, play it through and I hope you get a lot of good feedback for it too Um, because there's a lot of love and care and attention that has gone into its creation and I hope that a lot of other people uh, are able to enjoy it uh, as much as you know you very obviously have enjoyed (laughs) um, bringing it to this completion
1: well thank you Uh, I certainly uh, uh, hope so as well I think so And, uh, and thanks again
0: if you want to join the Ultima Dragons, you can do so at UDIC.org, whereat you can choose your very own dragon name. You can also find the Ultima Dragons on Facebook. We have a Facebook group there. And you can follow at Ultima Dragons on Twitter, or join them on Discord. And if you're feeling really old school, you can even fire up a Telnet client and check out the Wearmount. Hit up the show notes for links to all of these. If you want to participate more directly in the podcast, you can send us an email. Or if you're feeling a little bit braver, leave us a voice message in one of three places, the podcast website, our Facebook page, or on anchor.fm. And you're also welcome to join us on our Discord server to chat with us, to lurk, or even contribute to podcast recordings when they happen. And again, links in the show notes. If you'd like to support Spam, Spam, Spam Humbug, you can do so at patreon.com slash Ultima Codex, where for as little as a dollar a month, you can get access to episodes the day before they go live to the general public. You'll also get access to behind-the-scenes audio when we have some to share, and possibly other interesting content. But we also welcome your moral support. You can like the Ultima series on Facebook, follow at Ultima Codex on Twitter, or leave the podcast a review on iTunes. And you're also welcome to share our episodes with your friends and social media circles. Spam, 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 humbug is a production of the Ultima Codex. You can find show notes online at spam dot spam, spam, com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be virtuous.